welcome to the Hoop Collective Podcast. We talk about the NBA, which we're doing on Sunday evening this time. Happy New Year, etc. Joining us from Boston is Tim Bontemps. Hey, Tim. Hello, Brian. Happy New Year, everybody. And joining us from the Naples, Florida area is Bobby Marks, our front office insider, all-around good guy, salary cap expert. Won't find many people more knowledgeable about the league than Bobby. Hi, Bobby. Hey, guys. How are you? So we had an uh, active NBA weekend. There's still games going on right now. Um, there's some, some stuff still developing, um, but um, keep an eye on those. Had some, uh, had some good games during the day today. Um, we're going to talk about quite a few teams here. Um, we are uh, you know, two weeks into the NBA season. It's still early for sure. Definitely still forming opinions about teams. Definitely having a hard time. Everybody in the league, I think, getting their mind around things. We were gonna, we were gonna spend some time talking about the Phoenix Suns uh, tonight, and and they're down thirty to the Clippers. And not that it invalidates their five and one start. They've had a terrific uh, road trip. They just won in Denver and in Utah on back to back nights, which <laughs> happens about once every three years in the NBA. Um, a team would go on that road trip and do that. Um, you know, it's just things are all over the place. Um, but one of the things that uh, has become clear and I just want to talk about is I, I'm not sure how many real championship contenders we have. And you could sit here and make a case for one. You could sit here and make a – not one, but, you know, one or two in each conference. You could make a case for five in each conference. We've talked about it quite a bit. So I'm going to start off with a real simple question. Bobby, I'm going to start with you. How many, sitting here as we are today in early January, how many great teams do you think there are in the NBA? Great teams. Teams that can win the championship. You feel good about have a championship team right now. One. That's it. The defending champions. I mean, I I know what I'm getting with the Lakers. Um, they're coming off a win uh, Sunday night against Memphis. I believe they're now 5-2. and two. I know what I'm getting with LeBron and AD, and, and I know that team is battle-tested. I can't say that for the other 29 teams in this league right now. There are certainly some great offensive teams in this league, um, but I don't know if there is anyone else mentally as tough as that Laker group. And um, for me, it's just one team. Bond temps. Bobby stole my thunder because my answer is going to be a half a team because I trust AD and LeBron and I don't trust the rest of the Lakers and I don't trust any other team in the league at this point. Um, I thought I didn't like we've talked about before on the pod. I didn't like the Lakers offseason because, you know, I was down in the bubble and saw them up close for a couple months and they had such a clear identity as this physical imposing team that was going to come out and beat the crap out of their opponent and guard the hell out of them every night and then let AD and LeBron carry him home. And I think the offseason moves they made, while I understand them from trying to balance out the team, get a little more offense with Matras Harrell and Dennis Schroeder in particular. Overall, I, I don't think the mix is quite as good this year, which is why I say I'm not quite as confident about the rest of their group. And to Bobby's point, I mean, as we're talking about, like you mentioned that, that Suns-Clippers game, Brian. The Clippers, you know, got annihilated earlier this week. They got uh, by Dallas. I mean, they've gotten blown out a couple times so far this season. Um, you know, we've just had this weird start to the year where it seems like every team has had at least one or two bad losses or just gotten routed on a certain night that, yeah, I, I don't, I feel like right now we've got this morass of 
10 or 15 teams that are all pretty good. And I don't feel really confident that any of them are really all that close to being great. Yeah. I mean, I'm so scarred from the Clippers from last year. <laughs> I am, I am so scarred. Um, and, uh, you know, I've, you know, been watching some of the things that Ty Lue has been trying to do. Um, and certainly there is a renewed effort by Kawhi and Paul George, but it's still scary to me the way that they, their variance, um, happens, even though it's early. I, I'm, I'm just, I definitely think that they are a level, uh, I think it's the Lakers and Clippers. And then there's a, a bit of a gap, uh, in the West. Um, I'm, I'm just not confident with the mix with the Clippers. I'm just not there. And, you know, in the East, um, you know, Milwaukee, I want to put them in there. Um, but they haven't proven it, to Bobby's point. They're not battle-tested. Was that your point, Tim? I can't remember. You're not, not battle-tested, number one. No, it's Bobby's. Give Bobby his due. Sorry. Number two, um, I like their starting lineup, but I'm not sold on their bench. And uh, even within their starting lineup, you're asking, um, you know, while you brought in Drew Holiday, and uh, and I, he's a really good addition, um, definitely an upgrade there. I'm not ready to say that Dante DiVincenzo is a guy you can rely on every night. Um, and then I'm just not so sure about their bench. So um, while I think their top end is there, I mean, um, I'm I'm not a hundred percent on them. So, you know, that kind of backs me into the same corner. I, I actually think the Lake, I think Contavious Caldwell Pope has proven to be a terrific piece on that team. Um, I, I don't know if I would, you know, the, the trust word's a big word for a role player, but KCP is, is a really, he fits in very nicely to what they do. And they have some, some redundancies now that they didn't last year. Um, and uh, ultimately, you know, I don't even think that they've played in great rhythm so far. There have been, they're trying to establish some things and some of them are failing and yet they've, they've done pretty well and they're, they've gone three and zero on this road trip that they're on. So um, yeah, I, I, I think the Lakers have to feel and even the Lakers. I think they would say that they're only performing at you know, probably a B plus B B plus level. Um, they have moments where they, they have an A performance, but I mean, we're all saying that they look like they've distanced themselves a little bit. And I think they've got room to grow. So it's even more reason. And I, and I, and I don't know if, I don't know if that's a good thing or not. I don't know if having this uncertainty is a good thing for the league. I, I don't think having a bunch of 30 point blots is a good thing for the league. Um, but I, I, I don't know, but you know, maybe this is kind of what happens in the NFL, right? There's a whole bunch of teams that, compete all the way down to the end and, and you're not really sure what's going to happen night tonight. I, I don't know. I mean, Bobby could, does this mean it's going to be an interesting season or, uh, you know, a season that doesn't have intrigue at the end? I, I'm not sure. I think what it means, Brian, is that it's going to be a lot harder for teams to evaluate where their rosters are at 15 to 20 games. That's, that's usually the, you know, the, the sticking point with, you know, Hey, where are we? What do we need? Um, because there is such an imbalance. Like I look at like, like Utah, like Utah to me, you know, they, they've got, you know, you get a bad loss. Um, a couple, they've had a couple bad losses where yeah, double digit losses, Minnesota. Um, I think there was a Phoenix loss right on new year's Eve. 
And then they come back and beat they beat the Clippers, and then they're waxing, um, I think, San Antonio on, on Sunday night. And I'm like, where are they in the in the pecking order in the in the Western Conference here? Um, and also, and where, how do I evaluate them, too, Bobby? Yeah, yeah. And how do I evaluate? I mean, we're at you know seven eight games. I just think I think that's what teams are kind of running into is the evaluation process of looking at their own um, at their own roster and are, are they going to have enough of a body of work by game fifteen? Um, you know, to maybe move things around. Well, the other thing that I've been thinking about too, and I know it's really early for this, is that with the expansion of the playoffs this year and the fact that we're going to have, you know, essentially 20 teams making the playoffs in some form with the new play-in tournament where you have the seven through 10 seeds in each conference playing a couple games. I think for a lot of these teams, that, at least that I've been looking at, a lot of teams feel like they're a guy or two short. Clippers feel that way. Celtics certainly feel that way, among others we'll talk about later. And I think it might end up being difficult for some of these teams to make moves because you're going to have two or three more teams in each conference that might normally look at the situation, you know, a few weeks before the trade deadline and say, Hey, you know, we should probably start thinking about selling guys. Whereas now if a team is in 12th and, you know, say a team like Cleveland or the Knicks, right. That's off to a decent start. There are three or four games out of being in a potential playing scenario coming up to the trade deadline. Maybe teams like that say, Hey, you know what? It's better for us to just take a run at, trying to get in the playoffs with their young guys and get some experience instead of selling off older pieces to maybe get a second round pick. And I, I just, I know it's really early to be talking about that, but as I've looked at these teams and kind of start seeing a hole here and a hole there, I, I wonder if it is going to be trickier than maybe it typically is for teams to fill those holes as this year goes out with these extra playoff spots in the mix. Yeah. I mean, I think that's uh that's a, that's a, a thing just in general. I think if this was a, even a normal season, I think you would have a, uh, a difficulty finding sellers with the way things look now. And then you add the play in uh, aspect of it. Um, and some of those teams we've talked about some of those teams that are going to probably be involved in the play in really are going to want to make the playoffs. You know, I've, in, you know, in the East, I think Washington really is going to want to make the playoffs. And I would guess, I would guesstimate them as a team that's headed for the play in at best. Um, I don't think they're going to sell. Um, uh, you look at a team like uh, Orlando, which uh, mulled trading pieces away over the offseason, ended up not, ended up keeping their team together. Um, I, think they, I think they want to make the playoffs, as far as I know. Um, and so, it, it, you know, Charlotte is that definitely wants to make the playoffs. They, you know, they, they did not sign Gordon Hayward to, uh, to, uh, to trade away pieces in, in February. So, um, the, the recipe is there for there to be not a lot of sellers at all. And um, which is another reason why, uh, as I've been talking about on various platforms that Harden becomes such a fascinating part of what's going to happen with this season. But um, so, yeah, I mean, I mean, I, you know, that's sort of just a check-in like, you know, here we are. <laughs> um, and, you know, one of the teams that came out of this, of the gate really, impressing people was Brooklyn. Now, what I want to kind of do here, guys, is um, uh, we're going to go over some teams that are off to sort of shaky starts. And no, none of these made our great, uh, we say that, that, that they're great. But I want to know your level of sort of concern. Like, all right, you know, 
Warriors this season is strange and we got stuff going on all over the place. There's no fans. There's COVID protocols. I just want to go over some teams and, and get a feel on where you are concern-wise. So let's start with Brooklyn, who had a really uh, tough loss to Washington Sunday night. Uh, they lost by one. Uh, it was a uh, sort of an erratic game. Uh, Bradley Beal and Russell Westbrook combined to go 16 of 50 shooting in this game on the road. Um <laughs> And they won. <laughs> uh, and uh, they won uh, because uh, Brooklyn got destroyed on the boards. And this is something that's been bothering them early in the season. They ranked dead last in the league in uh, defensive rebounding. And um, at the end of this particular game, both Kyrie and Durant got really good looks that could have won it. But even if those shots go in, um, their defense, which started off pretty well, has eroded over the last few games. And... Um, their rebound has been really bad, and they have now lost four out of five. Now, is there two back-to-backs in there, or at least one where Kyrie and Durant didn't play? But they yeah, lost the four Memphis out of five, game, in, right? Yeah. Um, Tim, uh, sh- is there a level of concern about Brooklyn after they looked so good the first few games with Durant and Kyrie back? I wouldn't say there's a level of concern to me. They just are exactly the team that I expected them to be in that, you know, everybody got all wound up after these first two games when they played a Warriors team that is atrocious and they played a Celtics team that is close to atrocious on offense. And so everybody said, Oh, the Nets have it all figured out. They're going to be great. And their defense stinks. I mean, they, they don't guard anyone. Well, they, some of their defensive numbers are, have been okay. Their, but. They, their defensive numbers are good in large part because they played the Warriors in the first game who missed 1,000 wide-open threes and the Celtics in the second game who missed 1,000 wide-open threes. <laughs> um, so, again, like they – I don't care about defensive numbers. Well, they, they, some of their defensive numbers are, have been okay, but – Well, the Celtics can't score and the Warriors can't score. So after those two games, everyone decided that they were going to guard people, when in reality, they didn't really guard anyone in those games, and they can't guard anyone. Like, you go through their rotation, they have, you know, no plus defenders, and they have a couple of average defenders. Other than that, they're just below average defenders across the board. And, you know, I was texting about it with Bob before we did the podcast. Like, you can't win in the NBA if you have no plus defenders across your across your team and you can't defend anyone. And Bobby tweeted after the game, do the Nets have enough toughness? And like, they don't have enough defense or enough toughness. I mean, they're dead last in rebounding. They're generally playing small. Um, they don't they're, they're, really they're guard. Like, that's not a recipe for being a right. championship level team like they're supposed to be coming they're, into the season. They're really, re- they're really relying on Durant to be like a big time rebounder for them because of how small they're playing and he is having some good rebounding games, but you know, I, I don't know if you're as good as he's looking. I'm not sure that you want a guy coming off an Achilles injury to be your guy. You want to stick his nose in there and get rebounds, especially he's, that's not kind of who he is anyway. Um, you know, and they, they are playing with the three guard lineups that are sort of leading to that. Other thing, Bobby, um, Karis Levert, you know, um, Dinwiddie goes down, and that's a loss, and and you know that you know figures into maybe why they've sputtered a little bit here. They've had to deal with that at setback, um, but there was this opportunity that opened for Karis Levert, and Levert has not had a good season so far. He is not shooting the ball well at all. Shooting the mid thirty percentages, I'm pretty sure he did. 
And, um, you know, look, that can be just a slump. He could, he could round into form, but that they now really need Levert to play well. Um, and he hasn't been. No, he, I mean, he went three for, for three for 13 in the loss to, um, to Washington. And they basically have been using him as their, um, you know, primary backup to Kyrie with that, uh, with that, that second unit. And it feels like when he is in the game, the ball stops moving. You know, it's like there's, it's basically him going a lot of heavy ISO and then whoever's on the floor with him is, is, um, is, you know, standing around. I mean, there was a play in the Washington game that he, um, I think he made, he attempted to make a pass. He turned the ball over and he just stopped and it led to like a Washington fast break. And I've, I've seen that a a, a bunch with him where uh, I said it before the year that, you know, for this team to succeed, that everyone's going to have to kind of accept roles and sacrifice a little bit here. And um, he has struggled. I mean, he really does. I think the Dinwiddie injury um, is bigger than maybe we all all thought it was, um, you know, when it happened a week ago, just because I think Spencer balances things a little bit here. Um, I think he keeps Kyrie in check. I think it's a great, it was a, he was a great insurance policy, but you know, with, with Brooklyn, and I, I hate to use the word um, because I know professional athletes hate it, but, I mean, they're soft. I mean, that's the reality of it. They're, they're soft. They are a finesse team. Um, you know, the, the Steve, Steve Nash is going to have to figure out this DeAndre Jordan-Jared Allen um, combination here where, where DeAndre is basically the token starter. Um, oh, Jared you know, Allen, just, Jar- let's just be honest. Let's just be honest, Bobby, to your point. Jared Allen is so much better than DeAndre or Jordan at this point. Like it's not even, it's not like this is an effective timeshare of some sort, right? Like, like you said, he's starting, he's starting because he's friends with Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. And the other guy is playing way more minutes and is just a way better player. Like that's, that's just not going to be a tenable thing over the course of 72 games and the playoffs. Well, and the other guy, and, and Jarrett wasn't even on the court in in, in the closing minutes here, and that, and that's kind of how they got burned a little bit. They basically had Jeff Green playing the five, um, and yeah, I mean, the, we we all lauded them about their depth, right? You know, but when Prince and Landry Shamit aren't making shots, they they are heavy reliant on you know on Durant and and Kyrie. Shamit hasn't made shots for a long time. No, I don't think, I think it's since true. he sprained his ankle with the Clippers <laughs> last year. Yep. Um, no, it's true. I mean, I really liked that trade when they made it two years ago. When he, when he got to the Clippers, he shot 45% with them in the back half of that, uh, his uh, rookie year, on 45% on threes. He did not have a good year last year. Um, then he got COVID. I'm pretty sure he got COVID coming into the bubble and did not play well in the bubble, really. And they traded him. Um, and he's not shot the ball well, and he did not have an impact in this game. But I mean, look, it's not a Landry Shamit issue. Um, uh, I, I I do think that uh, I expect the Nets to have some, you know, some you know this is a a really giant additions, and a lot of things are changing, and it's a whole new coaching staff and a whole new philosophy. I think there's going to be games where they're just going to be going to be awesome. Well, well, there's right? game, well, there's games and they're going to score 135 points and win by 30. Kevin, just, well, well, just like, just like they did on, on Christmas against the Celtics, right? They, 
Kevin and Kyrie came out in the second half and scored a billion points, and they routed the Celtics in the second half of that game. Went from a tie game to being up 30. And there will be games that they can do that, but you have to be able to guard, especially in the playoffs, right? Like we saw, we see over and over again in the playoffs, you have to be able to play effective defense in the playoffs to advance deep and to win. And this Nets team, as constructed, cannot do that. And to Bobby's point about Spencer getting hurt, the biggest thing I think that that does for them, beyond the fact that he's a good balance uh, with Kyrie and also, you know, can fill in when Kyrie inevitably misses some games as their point guard, is that you had Karras and Spencer as two, you know, mid-sized contracts that are solid players that you could flip for a more defensive player to put on in that group with Joe Harris and, and Kyrie and KD, right? To have a, a really dominant, you know, maybe not dominant, but really quality wing defender with that group to put on the best offensive player on the other team. Well, with Spencer Hurt, that takes one of those options, you know, certainly pretty far down the list in terms of being able to use as an asset to trade. So for a team that, again, when we go back to these teams, they're going to be looking at, hey, we have this problem on defense. We have to try to fix it. Having Spencer get hurt on top of the fact that it's obviously terrible for him, it really hurts the Nets both on the court and in terms of trying to improve this team. And what I see is, you know, it's pretty clearly its biggest deficiency right now. Yeah, um, we'll see. I mean, uh, I expected them to have a a, ch- a challenge. Um, why did they let go of Dick Garrett Temple? W- would that have made a difference? It would have helped well, some. I mean, Bobby can answer this more directly to me, yeah. but it's I think mostly they let him go because it was going to cost a billion dollars to keep him. But in, in, in the reality, and yes, in a, in, a, in a pre-COVID world, it would have cost a ton of money. I mean, it would probably cost them about $25, $30 million to, to, um, to, to keep them. But the reality is that these teams are getting these massive – they're getting a massive tax break here. And the number is not as big as it maybe was. Um, so if you, if you say financially, I mean, for, an, for a team that basically is all in – has both feet in the, in the deep end as far as trying to win a championship. I mean, you gotta you gotta pay the piper here, and maybe they you figure, hey, we just got um, Landry Shaman in a trade. We already have Karras coming off the bench. Uh, we got uh, Luau Cabaret. You know how many guys do we do we need? But I, I would rather have him on the bench than Tyler Johnson right now, who who is you know with Dinwiddie out. Is not is not getting any minutes at all, you know, as far as from a backup standpoint. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to spend uh, Joe size money, you know. I mean, everybody's got to have some sort of you know line in the sand. Um, but you know, Joe size had one of the largest growths in net worth in in, in twenty twenty. He had a couple of IPOs go and. You know, he's got a lot of other investments. I don't, you know, I don't know. And uh, Alibaba's, you know, under attack from the Chinese government now. There's geopolitical stuff going on. I don't know. Anyway, I just, you know, and I know Garrett Temple's not even making that big of an impact uh, with the Bulls, but um, I, I was just surprised to let him go. And I, I, I think that's a guy who could have, who I, I bet they'd like to have him right now. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call or click Ranger.com or just stop by. 
The NFL schedule drops this week, and you can be there to catch all the action live and in person with Vivid Seats. Experience every touchdown, every tackle, every eye-popping play of your favorite team. And to kick it off, Vivid Seats, the official ticketing partner of ESPN, is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code HOOP. That's code HOOP. Download the app or visit VividSeats.com today. Vivid Seats, experience it live. All right, another team that I wanted to ask about is um, Toronto Raptors, who are one in four. Pascal Siakam um, is having a rough go of it. Uh, he fouled out of a game uh, in Philly, I think it was. Was it in Philly? I think it was in Philly. Uh, yes, I was in, it was in Philly. It was it was less than a minute to go, and he just he was so angry that he he walked right from the. I, I'm pretty sure it was uh it was a it was a take foul, it was a take foul to put Philly on the line. He walked right off the court and into the tunnel, and said, "I'm not here." Didn't wait for the end of the game, and uh, he was suspended for the next game for that, which I was surprised by because while it was not the most mature move, I'm not sure that was suspension worthy but they they had their reasons for doing it but to me it raised a flag and i don't have any i want to be clear i don't have any information on this whatsoever it it looked like a bit of an overreaction which led me to believe that it was more going on than just um than just that little act which by the way is not in his mo he's not the type of guy i don't think then he comes back out in returns and then fouls out again in 25 minutes. He has not been, been good. Um, Tim, you follow the Raptors very closely, you know, one in four. I mean, if, if they, if they lose four out of five in February, it's, you know, it's a bad 10 days. It's not the end of the world. I don't, I don't want to overreact here, but um, they had some really good mojo going in Orlando and, and they've been dealt this hard hand of playing in Tampa. I, I don't know how that affects it, but um are you worried about the Raptors? I mean, I am worried to an extent. I mean, they're in a little bit of a different place than even a team like Brooklyn to me, because if you look at their five games, um, they've, they've lost to four, you know, four decent teams. I think three of them were on the road and they led the first three games. games by, well, that's true. They led, they led the first, they lost the first three games of the season, including that Philly game. They led by double digits in each of the three games. And then blue leads down the stretch and lost. And, you know, the thing that's the thing that we saw about this Raptors team over the last couple of years is they had really gotten away from kind of the, the you know, the mentally soft, you know, use the word Bobby said, like, you don't necessarily want to use all the time, but they were seen as a mentally soft team and a mentally fragile team right up until basically they got Kawhi, right? And then the, both the, that year with Kawhi when they won the title, and then last year, they became this battle-hardened group that, you know, pulled out all these games. It came back from down 30 to beat Map the Mavericks last year, had all these comebacks late in games, and were always a team that kind of felt like they were always in the game. And that's the thing that feels like it's missing a little bit. And really, their whole team has just been off. Norm Powell, who was awesome off the bench last year for them, has been awful. Uh, you mentioned how bad Siakam has been. Um, you know, Fred Van Vliet got off to a terrible start. He played better the last couple of games, but he got off to a rough start too. It was really Kyle Lowry playing really well and everybody else playing terribly. Um, and I think they have 
really felt the loss of Serge Ibaka and Marcus Gasol inside. Chris Boucher is putting up numbers for them. He's played well off the bench. But Aaron Baines hasn't looked great, and they're not. He hasn't looked good, and they're and they're not playing with the same cohesiveness that they had last year. Even when they had all these guys, they, I mean, they had a million injuries last year. But whenever they had every guys out there, they kind of just had this. They felt much more cohesive and together throughout the season, and they just don't have any of that right well, now. Their, now, I th- their, I th- their defensive numbers are pretty good, which they're a top five defense. Which, although it's still early, right? Yeah, well, their defense. Team. Right. They have the same problem they had last year. Their defense is still pretty good, even without the bigs. It, it's their offense. Their offense just gets stuck in the mud a lot. 27 and, right now. Right. And, and a lot of that just comes down – I mean, some of it's missed shots, and a lot of it comes down to Pascal Siakam not playing like an all-star. Like, at the beginning of last season, Pascal Siakam looked like a top 10 to 15 player in the league, and he's kind of – he got hurt early on, and he's kind of steadily trailed off since then. He was terrible in the bubble. And, you know, there, there was an expectation around the Raptors he was going to come back much better this season. And he's really kind of reverted back to how he played in Orlando. And that, to me, is the number one thing that has to get fixed there. If Pascal gets right, everything else kind of falls into place. But if he keeps playing like this and they have to rely on a bunch of three-point shooting, their offense is going to continue to struggle and they're going to continue to be a middling team. Yeah, and they've, they've gone through some funks in some of these games. I mean, in that Philly game, I mean, they go six for 21 in the fourth quarter. Um, against um, in New Orleans, they go six for twenty-two in the third quarter. I mean, they are not shooting the ball well at all. Um, I mean, I think I looked at the the one stat. It's they're first in the league in their percentage in for three-point attempts. Fifty-one point seven percent of their shots are from three, and when you're shooting thirty-three percent, that is not a good combination at all. Um, so it's kind of like they've got that all or nothing mentality here. I, I, you know, I'm when you mentioned Chris Boucher, I mean, he's been one of their most consistent players. Uh, it's, it's interesting. He, he goes for, you know, 22 and 10 against San Antonio on a loss. And then Nick only plays him four minutes the next night. Like, so you're still trying to figure out, I guess, rotations here. I mean, he had 24 in the loss against um, in New Orleans here, but um, they've had some they've had some spells where um, you know that five or six point lead all of a sudden you're down ten pretty quick. Yeah, I, I my guess is that Siakam will play better, um, and that they'll their offense will improve. And but you know they you know they're a team that fancies itself as a chance to win the East, and you know they're a long way from that right now. So. Um, I've talked about how I think they are, they are a candidate for a hardened trade, but I don't know how, how feasible that actually is. It's one thing to want to do that. It's another thing to actually bring yourself to do it. Um, to, especially if, you know, the draft cost that it's going to be, you know, you know, the Raptors draft really well and they draft well from the back. They're not a team that's like, well, we don't care about picks in the twenties. They, they smack picks in the twenties out of the park. So I don't know if they can bring themselves. I don't. I don't know if that actually happens. But I. But I. I have my reasons for saying that. Um, we'll see. Well, Brian, so, you, know what's in, you know what's interesting on the on the real quick on that Harden uh, piece is that you know they're basically playing with uh, you know half of the playing field because they've got like seven guys that can't even get traded right now until after February third and, and uh, February sixth and some from March third. So. You basically know what they can, what they have to offer if they want to get into the hardened sweepstakes. It's you know Siakam and 
if it's some of these young guys, but you hit it right on the head. It's like, you know, how much draft capital would you be willing to give up? And then the other thing is, would Toronto's ownership even green light it with Masai kind of on an expiring contract? Who exactly is kind of building that is going to be building that roster? That's the thing I mentioned. I was on with Zach the other day and I mentioned that, you know, if, if, if you're going to come to ownership and say, I want to trade for James Harden and, and let's just for the sake of argument, say that it's two first round picks unprotected or lightly protected. I mean, maybe it, the cost is three, but let's just say it's two and let's say it's 2022 and 2024, 2023 and 2025 or whatever. Like if your ownership, you're like, well, Masai, I mean, you know, <laughs> We don't, we don't want you trading away picks that you're not going to be here for. You know, this is kind of one of the things that underlyingly, I think, has so much frustration with Daryl Morey in, uh, in Houston. Although the trade that, that suctioned out all of their firsts, the Russell Westbrook trade, you know, I don't know how Daryl was, was sitting in the driver's seat. I don't know if he was in the driver's seat on that, but um, uh, that is definitely a factor. And, and, you know, that's one of the, you know, it's a big topic of conversation in Toronto. And it's a topic of conversation as I talk to other executives in the league. But the fact that Masai hasn't signed a contract and his, his the way he's discussed it and the way it's sort of kind of been reported, it makes it look like they haven't even talked, which uh, I don't know. It seems like a pretty important thing. I I just don't – something doesn't add up. I mean, I understand why he wants to leave his options open. I get it. But – um it's kind of a it's kind of a big deal. The guy is uh, he's is the biggest guy. free agent in the twenty twenty one free agency class. Well, Kawhi Leonard. I mean Kawhi. <laughs> wow. But I gotta say, there's not that many teams you're gonna leave Toronto for. There are some, but Toronto's a pretty good job for a GM. You know, they got a ton of money. They've got a right now. They've got a winning track record. He's got a good infrastructure there. Good you know, good coach, good general manager underneath him. He could make a ton of money there. It's not, it's not like when he left Denver because Denver's like, we're only going to pay our general manager X amount and they're offering you this bye-bye. He could be, he can be the highest paid executive in the league in Toronto. So um, that's a sidelight that's kind of going on. Uh, And he has maximum, uh, credibility and maximum capital there. He can do anything. If he if he were to trade three first-round picks and Pascal Siakam and Malachi Flynn for James Harden, all the people that complained about the DeMar DeRozan trade, they wouldn't say anything. They would just be like, okay, Masai, you know what you're doing. And that's a very valuable thing to have, not only support from the ownership, but capital within your organization. So... We'll see. All right. So, Bontemps, when we brought up this idea of what teams were we asking ourselves whether we worried about, you specifically said you wanted to talk about Boston. And uh, Boston's a team. You live in Boston. You, uh, you know, you cover the whole East, but you specifically spend a lot of time around Boston. You've been to some of their games. Um, they're four and three. Jason Tatum hit his second game winner of the season today. Um Got ISOed on uh, Blake Griffin and just uh, took him. Blake Griffin is not looking so good health wise. Um, and uh, anyway, he just took him out the dribble, hit a uh, hit a step uh, was a step back or sidestep uh, jumper 
to his second game winner so far. They're four and three. One of their best players is hurt in Kemba Walker. Um, but why do you? Why are you thinking that you need that you need to be worried about them? Because they're not very good. That's why. Um, <laughs> yes, they're four and. Yes, they're four and three. Uh, they arguably, you know, could maybe should be two and five. I mean, they they got this win on opening night against the Bucks with just a comical Jason Tatum shot that you know yeah, that's did a, not it mean go, to. It did go did in. Not, it went in, uh, but he did not mean to have it go in the way it did. Uh, Rick Shanging <laughs> off the backboard. It was slop. It was slop. Uh, it was slop. Uh, look, the Celtics have two players who could score on their team: Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. Now they have Jason Jalen Brown in particular has been awesome. He's been. Probably he had one another of the five spectacular game today. He's probably been one of the five best players in the league over the first two weeks. That doesn't mean he is one of the five best players in the league, but he's scoring, I think, 30 points a game. He's shooting something, I think, well over 50%, I think, from the field. The last three games, Levy's averaging 33 points on 70% shooting from the field. Today, he was 13 for 16 he, and at 31 points. He's, I think he came in today shooting 57% from the field. Yeah, and he and went 13 for 16 today. So he's got to be over 60%. I believe so. I, I will look it up after after I'm done talking. But he, he's got to be closer. He's been incredible. And J- Jason Tatum has been good. And they have no one else who can score. And they don't have a lot of research. You know, they don't have a lot of cavalry coming either. Yes, they have Kemba Walker eventually coming back. Um, he's not on this road trip. There's supposed to be an update on his status this week. But it does not seem like he's coming back really anytime soon. And we really have no idea what he's going to look like. When he does come back, I mean, this, this knee issue has really been going on since January, um, unabated. January now. (laughs) Right. Since last, to be clear, since last January. Um, and it's a real cause for concern. So we'll see where he's at, but even if you put him in the mix, they don't have a single other player on the team that is reliably going to be able to create their own shot. They're playing, you know, they have guys like Daniel Tice and Tristan Thompson and Grant Williams and Shemi Ojale, you know, guys who can guard and, you know, will maybe make the right pass, but aren't going to score. And, you know, they're relying on Peyton Pritchard, who is a 26 pick in the draft to play huge minutes for them. And I, I think he might even be their fourth leading scorer behind Marcus Smart now. Um, they just, they have no depth. He's played well. He's, played, he's well. played well. He's definitely played well, but they have no depth and they just don't have nearly enough scoring. And you see it in these games. I mean, they're struggling to beat the Detroit Pistons, who are a terrible team. They lost to Detroit on Friday. They probably should have lost to them again today, kind of, you know, hit a couple shots late in one. Um, they just have not done anything to inspire any confidence. And frankly, you know, when I look at some of these other teams they're competing with, you know, I think you could argue Indiana's better than them. I think you could argue Atlanta is better than them. I think, you know, even though Toronto's had a rough start, I think Toronto is probably better than them. You know, I and we not just had a tough me. loss for a TJ Warren. Everybody, every, foot. yeah, I mean that was that was certainly was tough. But he, he, sh- I think, is supposed to be back by the playoffs. Um, but even still, you, you look it around and like to me, if you told me Boston was the seventh or eighth seed in early mid March, like I wouldn't be surprised by that. And like I think if you had said that to people three weeks ago, people would have been stunned to think that that was even a possibility. So. I think, you know, look, you can find depth throughout the season easier than just about anything else. And the two young guys are really, really good. But I just think this team has a lot of flaws, and I think they're going to have to do a lot of work to try to rectify them. Bobby, what do you think? Well, I'm not con- I'm not concerned because I didn't I didn't have them actually in the top six in the Eastern Conference when this started. 
I, wow, I, thought I had Bobby, him as number. I had him. I had him number. Se- I had him as number seven, and you know, um, in my in my notes before the season started, I mean, you know, the Kemba injury. I mean, I don't know when he's going to be back. Um, I think that certainly is having an effect. And who out of the backup guards, you know, with Jeff Teague and Peyton Pritchard, Carson Edwards, kind of, who do you trust? And and Pritchard has has had some some good moments and Jeff Teague just goes down with a sprained ankle. I, I mean, I thought the workload for Jalen and Jason was going to be pretty heavy with, you know, Kemba and Gordon uh, and uh, Hayward in, in Charlotte. And then like, and, you know, regarding their drafting, you know, yeah, they drafted, you know, Jason Tatum at number three and Jalen Brown where they picked them are great. Right? They're two, you know, all-star level players, but you know, after that, you know, Romeo Langford's been hurt. Robert Williams has had some good moments. You know, Grant Williams got a DMP today. Um, who can you trust kind of off that that de- off that bench there? So um, I, I wasn't really sold on on Boston to begin with. I thought they would be a kind of a, as I said, a, a team that would be a, a seven. You know, probably they'll be a top six team because some, some of these teams will get injuries like, like the Pacers here. Um, so I think this is kind of who they are right now. In my view, they really needed to try to do a sign and trade with, uh, with Gordon Hayward. And, um, they, uh, you know, they, you know, they had talks with Indiana and, you know, there, there's different things that have come out about that. And, you know, I've learned that. Look, I think what's clear, whatever, whatever's come out, I think what you can clearly say about Boston is that they didn't want Miles Turner. I think if they'd wanted Miles Turner, they could have got a deal done for Gordon Hayward with that. And they didn't want him. So now you could say whether that's a good call or not, like, would you rather have Miles Turner or a trade exception? Well, given where Boston's at right now, they really need wing players, but it certainly they look better well, if they had the league's leading shot blocker. If their... they had gotten Miles Turner, then they could have used their their mid level exception, not on Tristan Thompson. Well, that is also true. Though by the time they did sign Tristan Thompson, there weren't really any wings available either. So well, that was possible. kind of the other problem. That was possible. Just you know, having having Gordon Hayward walk out the door for nothing, you know, you're talking about depth issues. That's just hurtful. It's hurtful. You know, it's not, it's not totally up to them. He opted out. The situation changed. It's not, it's not like he said he hated it there. He just, you know, the team wasn't the same team that he signed up for and he wanted to go someplace else. Okay. Well, and to be clear, they did get a trade exception, a very large one, which they could use to add depth and maybe they will over the next few months. And if they do, then some of these changes, some of these problems. That's go true. Away. That's but, true. But as it stands now, their backup, like they have no players basically from six four to six ten that are any good on their team that aren't named Jalen Brown or Jason Day. Yeah, it's just it's it's going to be hard what they have to trade. They they're not plus picks anymore. I don't think are they, Bobby? They they've been plus no, picks for a they're, decade. They're, they're no, even. they're officially not plus picks anymore. So, I don't know. Um, I'm not actually. I mean, I, I'm not. I don't see them as a team that I think is going to win the East. Um, I don't, I'm not worried about them, but I'm not scared of them. Um, Jalen, Bobby, Jalen Brown's contract, uh, I don't know what the actual guarantee was. I think the guarantee was around 100, and then he had some incentives that were that were in there that they're going to probably have to pay. Yeah, um, a lot of incentives, yeah. It's a pretty good contract I mean, I a, year, was... a year. It's looking pretty well, good. Well, that was actually the contract. contract. Yeah, I mean, I was the contract I thought that, 
Atlanta, or at least with um, John Collins, that was a kind of how I sized it up with um, with Collins. But yeah, I mean, it's four years, 107 million guaranteed, and he's got a bunch of bonuses that are, you know, that are in there. It's it's, it's a it's a good number. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's I mean, about they, and four they paid and a half Jason Tatum. The they paid Jason Tatum one ninety. Yeah, plus sixty. Basically, yeah, if he gets all NBA, yeah, but to be honest, ninety million more, ninety million more on Tatum. And and for large stretches of the past two years, Jalen Brown's just flat out been better than Jason Tatum, too. I'm just saying, like that's a. I mean, you got it's those two guys. Contract. You got those two guys. You got them under contract, and Jalen's contract is very good. Um, I mean, it's it's big. It's a it's a hundred million dollar contract, but you feel really good about it. Uh, you can't be in too bad a shape, but I mean, for this season. Well, it, well, like I said, it's just, it depends on what your context is, right? Like I came into the season thinking that they weren't going to be like, I was a little higher on the Bobby, but not a lot. And like, they, you know, to me, they look like a team that's going to be in the playing tournament. That's not, Oof. that's not what they were supposed to be. No, I agree. Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up hypnotic and cognac weighing heavily on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom, Onyeho Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic liquor, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. If only starting your fitness journey was as easy as starting this podcast. The truth is all the lift big, get big, and beach body ready in three weeks pressure stops most of us from even starting. And starting is what matters most. It's everything. Wherever you're beginning and wherever you want to be, Peloton encourages you to just start. With thousands of classes to get you moving and doing what you can, even if that's just a 10-minute low-impact class, they have those too. And when you're ready, take it up a gear with a 30-minute live DJ ride. Start with Peloton and find instructors that will keep you motivated to stay on your fitness journey. Learn the basics and build from there. Remember, doing something is everything. Get started with a Peloton bike or Bike Plus rental at onepeloton.com slash bike slash rentals. Terms apply. All right, so the Denver Nuggets uh, got a win tonight over the um, injured uh, Timberwolves. Um, It was tied after three, and then they outplayed them down the stretch. To move to two and four, um, the, the, I think Jamal Murray has missed some time with an elbow injury. Um, he had a big game tonight, thirty-six points, uh, another triple double for Jokic. Jokic is playing well, but uh, defensively, they have been. I mean, Mike Malone pretty much said they've just been awful defensively. Um, Michael Porter Jr. has had moments, but has just gotten smoked on defense. Teams are hunting him down on defense. Um, Bobby, they're on our list here. Um, coming off the conference finals, started off one and four, got the win to go two and four. Are you worried about them? I'm not worried about them. Um, I mean, I, I had them as the, you know, in that four to five range. Um, uh, and I think they'll still finish there. Um, I think we got caught. I think a lot of people get caught up on, you know, they were basically what a Mike Conley shot away from being eliminated from the, from the first round here. And they were a team that was down, Three one, uh, and then you added. You know, they, they took a hit with their depth. I mean, with uh, you know, with Jeremy Grant going, uh, Jeremy Grant and Mason Plumlee going to, um, you know, to Detroit, and you know, before to before the Minnesota game, their depth was um, probably a little. You know, certainly 
defensive end, they were 29th in defensive um, efficiency and, and their bench. Um, but tonight uh, against Minnesota, they go for 47 points um, with Jermichael Green and P.J. Dozier, Monty Morris, guys like that. So I'm, I'm not concerned. I, I think they kind of know who they are, um, but they do need to kind of figure out that defensive identity um, that did get them through some of their games um, last year. Bontemps? Yeah, I mean, I think they're kind of a similar thing to the Celtics to me in that, to Bobby's point, you know, I was at that Nuggets-Jazz game seven, and I I will never forget that Mike Conley shot rimming out. I still don't know how it didn't go in. Um, but you you look at a team that was that close to going out and then, frankly, should have gone out in five to the Clippers, right? Get three crazy comebacks in that series to get to the conference finals. And now you think, oh, hey, they're a conference finals team. Well, you know, they're a team that, Yes, they have Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic, but after that, they have a lot of question marks. And, you know, they bring in Jermichael Green to kind of replace Jeremy Grant. He's basically been a non-factor. Um, Will Barton has been terrible. He's been, he's been hurt. Right. Well, that's what I mean. He's He's been a non-factor, and now he's finally back. And then, uh, you know, Will Barton has not been good. You have Porter now, who's been in and out. Um, I just... You know, I kind of wonder what their actual ceiling is. Like Bobby mentioned Utah before. I think Utah is better than them. I think Portland is probably better than them. I think if Houston keeps James Harden, I think Houston is better than them. You know, you kind of run down the list, and they, to me, feel like a kind of back end of the West playoff team, which, you know, again, when your team is in the conference finals, you think they're, well, they're you know guaranteed to be a top three, four team again. And I just, I don't know. I look at them, and I kind of think they're, a level below that. Now, if Jamal goes for 34 on a consistent basis again, like he did in the bubble, like and like he did tonight, then okay, maybe it's a bit of a different story. But you know, I, I think it's more likely than not that they're kind of, you know, trying to avoid being in that seven, eight, nine, ten mix, sort of like what the Celtics are. Well, one of the things that has hurt them, Gary Harris, um, he's just been—I don't know if free fall is the right word because he's had a lot of unfortunate injuries, but. He was bad last year. He had, he had a little flourish in the bubble, and once when he was playing well, they they are way more dynamic. He has not been good in the early part of this season after not being good for last season, and you know he is a trade chip for them, and they have attempted to find a market for him, and there just isn't one. Uh, I mean, they could trade him, but probably not for, for what they want, and it is not improving. <laughs> And, um, you know, like that, that's a position that, you know, if you're going to seriously contend out there and with what they're paying him, they need him to be productive, but his numbers and I, and granted the team has morphed a little bit around him. Jamal Murray has really stepped forward and, uh, you know, Porter Jr. Who's out right now with health and safety. Um, he hasn't played the last few games. Uh, but Gary Harris not being a a reliable player and or valuable trade chip has really, really hurt. And, you know, Barton is another guy who had a pretty serious injury, knocked him out of the whole bubble, and he's had moments, but I'm not sure what his trade value is either. So they have, they have pieces to trade, uh, but the guy that everybody wants is Porter, and, you know, they've not wanted to do that. So... Um, I just don't know how, I don't know where their improvement comes from unless Porter really becomes a, a night in and night out bona fide player, which he has not proven yet, has not even come close to that. Or Harris 
reinvigorates himself. I don't know where their improvement comes from. That's something I'd be worried about. Well, I think their improvement comes from Jamal Murray being what he was in the bubble outside of it, right? Like Jamal Murray was the player inside the bubble and particularly in the playoffs. Like people have kind of thought he was and slash was going to be. That's a, a big ask. I mean, that's that no, level of no, play no. was pretty crazy. I understand, but like that's kind of the like people have thought this guy could be a superstar level player for a while, right? And he'd kind of been a good to very good player, but not really anything beyond that. And then he went in the bubble and was going for 50 points in playoff games and was, you know, making one big play after another was great. And like if he's that level player and Nikola Jokic is that level player. Well, then you're cooking with gas, right? If he's just a good player again, or a very good player, and then you have Jokic as your one star, well, then all these other guys being a little bit lesser is a huge problem. And that, you know, that to me, I think is kind of what, if you were high on the Nuggets coming into the season, that was what you were banking on, right? That like Jamal Murray had found his breakthrough. And if he hasn't, if that was an aberration rather than the norm, well, then to your point, this is kind of what they are. Meanwhile, the Suns who were down 30 are now down two in the fourth quarter, which is a perfect <laughs> summation of what's going on in the NBA. This season. And we and we sidelined that topic. We may have to we may have to wait uh, until next week to do it. All right, Bontemps, you also wanted to talk about the Warriors. We've talked about the Warriors. I, I, I th- the Warriors are also playing right now. They're probably and they're winning at halftime. By the and way, and they're winning. <laughs> right, playing the playing yeah. the Blazers. Um, Another underrated part of why this season is so wacky, by the way, is that you're having all these series with these teams playing two games in a row. And it is it is very hard to beat a team two games in a row. I, I think just in kind of as we've seen over time, like you play home and home as a team and stuff. And I know these are in the same arenas, but I do think that's going to partially be why things are a little strange here. Like the, the Bucks and Heat played two games on Tuesday and Wednesday. And the Heat, it seemed like, kind of shut that game down when they were down 30 in the right around halftime and said, well, we're just going to play these guys again tomorrow. Let's just rest for tomorrow instead of trying to come back. And, you know, it's, it's made for a weird, another weird dynamic for this season. Curry, by the way, has 31 in the first half in that game. So maybe by the time this podcast posts, he'll have, he'll have 60 and that'll be a signature game for the season. Um, I, the Warriors, uh, again, Bontemps, this was on your list. I, I think, I don't think they're a playoff team. I, I don't, I don't even think there's that much in, in doubt about that, but I, I guess I could be wrong. Um, but I don't think they're a playoff team. And I think, you know, I think their future is around the two lottery picks that they might have with their pick in Minnesota's in the 2021 draft, which is going to be really good. And um, you restock that way. And I'm excited about Wiseman. I, I, I actually have a pretty, from where I sit, I have a pretty clear vision for them. Um, you hopefully get clay back and you have Draymond and then you have, you know, three young guys, three lottery picks, uh, in in two drafts, including maybe the best player taken in the 2020 draft, and that's where you go for. I think that's the Wizards' destiny or the Warriors' destiny. I, I, I'm sort of indifferent on them, but you you seem to think that people should have a worry or not worry opinion. Well, I, I again, I think it's just worth mentioning them only in the sense that I think your stance on them is I. Pretty sure it's Bobby's Bobby who correctly said before last season they weren't going to make the playoffs. People scoffed at him. He was right. Uh, I have the same opinion of them also, but I think if you ask kind of the general public, people thought, well, Steph is back. Draymond is back. They're going to be a playoff team. And I I think your read on it is what my read on it is, which is that this team is not going to be a playoff team. I mean, look, tonight is a perfect example. So at halftime of this game, they're up by 10 and Steph has 31 points. No other player on the team has more than six. 
right? Like they they're like a supercharged version. And, of the and they and they will win. T- they will win games like that this year. They'll have to because that's how yeah. they're going to win games because they're sort of a tuber- supercharged version of the Celtics and that Boston has two players who can score and the Warriors have one player who can score. And other than Steph Curry, they got nobody who's going to consistently score on that team, especially while Kelly Oubre is now, I think one for 27 from three this season while he's costing <laughs> Joe Lake of $80 million uh, in normal tax time. So um, yeah, I just think for what the general expectation was of them, which is that this team could be, you know, in the playing tournament or maybe even get a little bit above the playing tournament. I think that's kind of what the overall expectation for Golden State was this year. Uh, they're not anywhere close to that. And to your point, I think that if I was a Warriors fan, I would just be watching every Timberwolves game to see if they keep losing. And I'd be watching all these college games to see all these top prospects and what is a loaded 21 college draft because that is where the future of this team lies. Wizard, the uh, Wolves are two and four. So uh, that's a, a relevant number, relevant number for the Warriors fans. Yeah, and they, I think they started two now, right? So they are uh, no Carl yeah, Anthony Towns, and yeah. D'Angelo Russell looks like um, Lakers D'Angelo Russell <laughs> right now. He does not look like uh, the All Star that we saw in Brooklyn. I I think for me, guys, I mean Golden State. I mean I had him at best a, as a playing team, you know, in that I guess nine to ten range here, um, and I'm not I'm not surprised where they are. I don't I don't think they have an NBA level bench. At all, I mean, you look at their Brent, their bench. I mean, with, I mean, basically Kent Bazemore and, and Brad Wanamaker and, and um, Eric Pascal is is basically they got you know three guys and a bunch of and a bunch of G leaguers. Um, my big question for them is, are they going to be sellers when they get to the trade deadline? Right? Is if they if we're if they're a playing team or a, fr- or a fringe lottery, are they going to shave that that uh, luxury tax number down and then? Um, become a seller, and I think the the Ubre contract, you know, if if he certainly if he plays better than what what he has, would be the one to to keep an eye on here. But I'm not surprised, as I said, at all as kind of, as far as where the where this team is. I think the interesting thing is, you know, certainly not with the the Portland game that's going on right now. I mean, but when they when this team loses, man, they get blown out. I mean, you know, 26 to Brooklyn, 39 to Milwaukee, and then 25 to Portland. I mean, they're not competitive in, in um, you know, in, in the losses they've been in so far. Well, stuff's up to 34. So <laughs> who knows what'll happen with that. Um, all right, well, uh, we've got a lot going on. And uh, I will say this, um, you never know what's going to happen. Uh, you, you know, the folks out there who uh, are part of the, uh, the expanding public who are, who are wagering on these games, um, Good luck to you, because uh, we're having a very difficult time figuring out what's happening from night to night, even from half to half. Um, all right, thanks for listening to the Hoop Collective Podcast. Thank you to Bobby. Thank you to Tim. Thank you to Troy back in Bristol. And uh, remember, you can also download and subscribe to our friend Zach Lowe's podcast, The Low Post, wherever you get your podcasts or where you're listening to this podcast. Have a great week. We'll talk to you soon.
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms or restrictions apply.